Kay. I'm Dr. Kay Wise-Whitehead. I want to talk about Carroll County. Now, Carroll County, Justina, is predominantly white uh, over in Carroll County. And so there's some issues that happen at a game. Let me lay it out for you because parents are out of control right now. So on September 25th at Christmas Tree Park in Manchester, there was a game between the North Carroll Coats and the only Bears, right, from Montgomery County. Let me just say, this is the 13-year-old division. This is not like some huge team. This is not like the team from Philly. This is not, you know, the Ravens. No, 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 no. These are 13-year-olds in a football game. Somehow or another, the parents were harassing the children, the players, assaulting the minors. And so it led to two parents, Nicole Star Ellis, because her name is here, she's 31 years old, Keith Gregory Lochner, 32 years old, Reisterstown. They were arrested for their the activities they were involved in that day. They have cell phone and video camera recordings. And when they looked at it, they said that the coaches and the parents assaulted some individuals. Additionally, parents of both the North Carroll and the only players were using racial epithets, including one of the arrested parents. So they are screaming about the children. And, of course, they begin to use things like the N-word. What I'm trying to figure out, and this is why I don't think that we're ever going to be able to hold hands and sing kumbaya, at least not in the near future. We're not going to be able to solve this race thing, at least not in the near future, because you have parents showing up at a game of 13-year-old children, getting upset at the 13-year-old children, and immediately going to racist language, which means they probably called them the N-word. I mean, what, what else are we talking about? That's what that means. They probably called them an N-word. For some odd reason, which I don't even understand why, they were so upset. Additionally, they've gone after the head coach, suspending the coach, expelling the coach. So the coach has been uh, suspended by the league for the remainder of the season, including the playoffs. Robinson, Kirk Robinson, His child plays on one of the teams. They said he will be allowed to attend the games as a parent spectator. Notice that word, spectator. But he cannot talk to the referees, the athletes, the coaches during the games. He cannot participate in any of the pregame activities. And if he does, then it's going to forfeit the game. The coach was involved in this type of activity. I think that we have reached a level here where people are absolutely out of control. And and let me give you the evidence for why I'm saying it, because evidence matters. Not just this Carroll County incident, which I find to be outrageous, and which I'll say out loud for any parent who is listening. If you are at a game where your child is playing in the game and you feel called to do something, You feel compelled to do something. You cannot rest with yourself unless you then become a part of the game. Then you are the problem because that's not what you're supposed to do. I've seen parents like this at football games. I'm not even a football fan. I've gone to a couple of games. There was a minute there where my son in middle school played football, and I was like, okay, I didn't really like it, but I went to the games. The parents were just loud and rowdy for no reason. These are middle school children. Unless you're betting on the game, which is illegal, what are you upset about? You should just be watching the game, right? We shouldn't have to have rules sent out to all the parents to remind us of our behavior for a middle school football game. I've been to some of the games for high school. I mean, I've stopped by, and I've just kind of watched whether the game is at Poly or City, just kind of being a part of it. And I've heard parents get very upset, and I don't understand why. Like, what is it that's driving people, parents, to behave in that manner? 
And so now this has gone to the next level that they are in there fighting and they're fighting both other parents and they're fighting students, players. I'm just trying to figure out what, what is going on here. That's evidence number one. Evidence number two is the uptick in car accidents. Have you noticed here in Baltimore? So I'll just use Baltimore as an example. Have you noticed there's an uptick in car accidents? More people are running red lights. More people are speeding. More people are getting involved in these kind of rolling down the window with road rage, screaming out at each other for absolutely no reason. It's gotten to the point that I know when I drive now, when I'm at a light and the light turns green, I've gone back to something my father taught me when I was learning how to drive. I was taking, I take the count, one, two, three, before I take my foot off the gas and ease out there. I do that if I'm the first one. If I'm not the first one, I figure who if they're going to hit somebody, it's going to be the first person. But I've been waiting. And I have noticed, especially over on Northern Parkway, that people are running more lights. They're driving much faster. And I'm always seeing a bottleneck with traffic because of accidents on Northern Parkway. That's evidence number two. Evidence number three are the number of confrontations that people are having in public spaces, in the stores, in the parking lot. You're you're starting to see an uptick in the videos that are coming out because people are now a little bit more upset. I think people are more on edge. I think something happened during COVID. Maybe we realized that uh, maybe the world was coming to an end, so you might as well do what you want. Maybe we spent so much time inside that we lost the ability to extend basic courtesy toward one another. Something's going on, and we got to figure out what it is. There's a video, and I'm going to ask Justina. She may be able to find some, some audio from it. A police officer, there's a video of a police officer grabbing a black girl by the hair, slamming her down to the ground multiple times. Apparently, he was trying to get her, get handcuffs on her. And what we're seeing is that we are back to the same situation that we were dealing with prior to COVID-19. Prior to COVID-19, we were talking about Black Lives Matter. When we were talking about what we need to do around Black Lives Matter and how we need to protect ourselves. That's what we were talking about prior to COVID-19. Well, here we are now, and I'm not saying COVID-19 is over, but we are at a point now where we're starting to see more police incidents where they are involved in the same old thing. So the police officer slammed this girl to the ground, and it looked like she was a teenager, a young teenager. There's no reason why the person who shot the video kind of shot it through the cars. But it's this new body cam video, and people are screaming for justice here. The man body slams this person to the ground and knocks them unconscious. It just came out. I'm not sure why it is that we're seeing the same things begin to happen. We have gone in this kind of strange circle that unless we do something now, unless we say that we are not going to turn the other cheek, unless we say that we're not going to allow them to move the needle back, when it comes to police reform, we're going to end up and find ourselves in the same situation. Things are not going to change. Joe Biden was very clear. He said, look, I am not into defund the police. That's not going to happen. He does not believe that we're going to defund the police. He doesn't believe in defunding the police. He believes in more community policing and more mental health workers to assist the police. So that whole idea of, like, defund, you know, dismantle, that's not going to happen. The cops will get more money. We saw that in Baltimore City. And we're going to continue. We're going to go back to life as we know it. We're back talking about Black Lives Matter, which should be a part of what they call the black agenda. 
April Ryan, in her column for The Griot, talked about the black agenda and how Joe Biden revealed his greatest regret when he was pressed on the black agenda last night. Now, this black agenda, the one that we've been kind of talking about, the one that Dr. Malvo was mentioning yesterday, the black agenda deals with putting the issues that are important to the black community in front of the people who are making decisions, the issues that we care about, the state of our community, what, it, what we're dealing with student loans, the wage pay gap the high rates of unemployment, we start talking with this black agenda about the issues that actually matter to us. I'd like to see if we can get a copy of that black agenda um, because April Ryan in her column really just speaks on a high level about this black agenda. Biden acknowledged last night that he received overwhelming support from the black community. He said, the only folks who helped me more than black men were black women. Okay, we got that. All right, so black women showed up, black men showed up, black people showed up to help Joe Biden get elected. All right, so that has happened. What do we do now? He said, his greatest regret has been working so hard to pass his larger spending bills, like the American Rescue Plan and the Build Back Better Plan, he has done so much with that that it's prevented him from focusing on important issues, other items, like voting rights and police reform. He has not dealt with that. So I'm looking now at the black agenda and what does it mean for us to start thinking about how we can begin to get serious about how we can move forward. Now, someone put up here on the Facebook page said, well, we need a plan, and black folks need to have a plan about what we want. Well, it's already out there. The black agenda lays it out. There's a mandate, part of the black agenda, and I'm pulling it up now, and you can just simply go to blacktothefuture.org. The mandate for the black community is asking the Biden-Harris administration to put the priorities of the black community in the country front and center and calls on those elected to represent us to do the same. Within periods of crises, it goes on to say there's an opportunity and it lies in meeting the needs of black communities in America so that all of America can reach its promise. This black mandate, this black agenda is calling on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to put our needs first. When it comes to COVID-19 relief and recovery, when it comes to racial justice and economic recovery, when it comes to racial justice and climate, the climate crises, and when it comes to white nationalism calling on Joe Biden and every elected official to reject the toxic culture of white nationalism and white supremacy. And by doing that, putting us in a position where we can begin to address this at every opportunity, that we always put on the table white nationalism and white supremacy. We never let the moment pass that will give us a chance to talk about this. Why? Because it's an issue that continues. Joe Biden was supposed to deal with this in the first 100 days. He did not. He, he is not doing that. So we're now into the second half of his first year in office. And what we're calling on is for Joe Biden to recognize that democracy that democracy that the black community has been working to build, the democracy that we have been in support of for years, the democracy that we represent when we show up and vote in large numbers, particularly black women, that democracy isn't working for black communities. I'm just laying it out here. According to the black mandate, democracy isn't working for black people. That greatly concerns me and probably greatly concerns you as well. Because if democracy isn't, isn't working for black people and we live in a democratic country, then what are we supposed to do? 
generations of rules have left our communities out and left our communities behind. We are being left behind in America's march towards democracy. And that is where the issue is, because I put something on my Facebook page today and on Twitter. I said, America, this this country, if America loved and rode for black people as much as black people love and ride for America, there'd be a transformative situation in this country. If this country loved us half as much as we loved it, I mean, you know, I'm not even asking America to love us 100%, right? So now, this may sound like an abusive kind of relationship, right? <laughs> Whoever gets in a relationship saying, you know, I'll love you 100%, you love me 50%. No, no. If we, we want in this relationship with America, given the fact that we have been so used and so abused and so overlooked in this country, we don't even want America to love us 100%. Just love us 50%. Just love us half as much as we love you. Just half as much is all we're asking for. Because if we get half as much, maybe we get to a situation where our children are not being slammed to the ground by cops. It happened before Black Lives Matter, it happened during Black Lives Matter, it's now happening again in this post-Black Lives Matter situation. According to the Center for Disease Control, black communities contract COVID-19 at 1.4 times the rate of white communities. We're hospitalized at 3.7 times the rate of white communities. And we died and are dying at a rate of 2.8 times of the white community. So with that and the black mandate, we're trying to figure out how in a democracy what COVID-19 exposed to us is that we live in a country that doesn't love us back. Now, it didn't take COVID-19 to really expose us. I think COVID-19 helped people who had always felt that maybe America could be redeemed. COVID-19 showed us that we live in a country like Frederick Douglass said, where power will never concede without a struggle. It never has, and it never will. America will never give us our due just because we're asking for it. If we are constantly the one with our hat out in our hand, with the tin cup waiting for a quarter to be dropped, it's never going to happen. It's not, because that's not America. America does not love us the way we love it. And this is probably kind of depressing, but it's true. It doesn't love us the way we love it. Because if it did, if America loved us half as much as we loved ourselves and half as much as we loved America, come on. According to the Black Census uh, Project, the largest survey of black communities in America in 155 years, the top concern, and I want to hear from you about this, the top concern keeping black Families awake at night. They did this huge poll, and they asked black people, say, hey, what is it that keeps you up at night as a black person? I want to ask you that question. I'm going to tell you the answer, but I want to ask you, 410-319-8888. As a black person in America, what keeps you up late at night? It keeps you worried. For me, it's the fact that both my sons are in college. And the son that keeps me up late at night is my oldest son because he has a car in college. And I'm telling you, you don't know what real fear is until you give your black son the keys to his first car and you drop him off in a state 12 hours away. I I stay up. I'm constantly. Now, I don't check my phone and check his location like I used to. I've gotten better. But then nights I wake up and I just send a quick text, you all right? Like I just need a quick yes, you all right. That's what keeps me up at night. What keeps you up at night as a black person in America? Because we're talking about the black mandate, the black agenda for 2021. According to this poll here, the top concern, keeping black families awake at night, are wages that are too low to support a family. That's what it's saying. Followed by a lack of access to affordable health care. Followed by a lack of access to affordable housing. The three issues keeping black folks up at night 
They don't have enough money to support their family. They don't have enough money to afford health care. And they don't have enough money to afford housing. The average wealth of white families is now, listen, this is, it's gone up. The average wealth of white families is now $919,000. The average wealth of white average wealth of white families is almost a million dollars. While the average wealth of black families is $140,000, a gap of over $700,000. Let me get Jay on the phone. Jay from Baltimore, how are you? Hi, Dr. K. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Yes, to answer your question, what keeps me up at night is all of the new Jim Crowism mm. and how far back we are reverting. And then I realize that we're not reverting. This stuff has been happening all along. And to wake up, and I was born in 79, so to wake up and realize that I've been living this nightmare um, my entire life, only to see all of these things unfold with the power of technology and to pay attention to all of the stories that I've heard about my brothers being arrested in 85 and put on the curb and uh, not even arrested. I, I take that back. I'm sorry. Not arrested. Just stopped for walking from senior high school, um, but put in the polls as if they did something wrong. Right. And then um, different stories from friends, relatives. And fast forward, I'm a mother. My son's four years old. I have the same thoughts as all mothers, I'm sure, as, as, as you do, just as you've expressed. So these are the nightmares, nightmares that we are living in reality. I do well. My family does well. But we know that we can pinpoint instances in our lives when we have been subject to the hatred, the hatred that is indoctrinated in this nation. So thank you for putting that on the table. On that. Well, yes. We're going to talk some more thank about you. this. When we come back from the break, a couple people chiming in from Facebook Live. I want to hear from you. 410-319-8888. Research shows for black folks. Three things are keeping them awake at night, and it's all about money. Stay with us. We'll talk more when we come back. Welcome back to Today with Dr. K. I'm Dr. K.Y.'s Whitehead. What is keeping you up at night as a black person? But what's keeping you up? We're talking about the black mandate slash the black agenda because last night Joe Biden was asked, hey, what, what is your greatest regret when it comes to the black agenda? He's like, oh, I haven't done enough. I haven't dealt with police reform. I was waiting for him to say reparations. That's got to be part of one of your regrets since you talked to us about reparations. Here's one of the issues around the black agenda. What we want is this notion of racial justice. Listen, listen. Racial justice is not a separate issue from economic justice. It's not separate from democracy, climate justice, relief and recovery from COVID-19. Racial justice goes across all of that. And you know where that's taught? In a little area called critical race theory. That's what critical race theory teaches you, that racial justice is codified. It's into the law because the law does not provide the safety and protection that we black folks need to be able to live our fullest lives here in this country. 410-319-8888. I'll do Philip first, then Rita, then um, Raquel. Philip is a new call from Owens Mills. Philip, how are you? Pretty good. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, the, the situation we have here, and um, my grandson plays football in a league in Pikesville, and every time they have games, it's always one-sided. The referees are screaming at my at our kids like the animals or something. Mm. So I try to speak up, and when I do, we have some of the team moms saying, oh, you'll get thrown out the game. I said, well, if I get thrown out, I get thrown out. I'm not going to stand there and let them um, t- uh, treat our children like that. No. And you'll see it every day. I agree. What do you think about this thing in Carroll County? The parents calling. They, they didn't say what name they called, but I think, Philip, if we're talking about white families calling black children names, at some point I'm sure the N-word was yelled out. You know it was. You know it was. And if a similar situation, I don't know if anybody heard about it, happened to a league in Rice's Town. 
the whole team was uh, was was predominantly black. I think it was two years ago, and they did the same thing to them, but it's never reported. Just like Fox Forty Five can constantly talk about what's going on in Baltimore, what's wrong with Baltimore, but they never publicize what right. the dirt that they're doing to us. So I've we heard we, that we a lot, uh, Philip. I've heard that there are a lot of stories of pl- parents calling out racially players on the team, high school players with the N-word. Like, what is that? It's become more commonplace, I feel. Uh, most definitely. It's happened in Arundel County at Severna Park, I believe, a couple games. Mm-hmm. Parents coming there using their political views on the field. Mm-hmm. And it's, you just see it. It's, it's just so prevalent now. And I really believe that our, as a people, we should just boycott Carroll County. Mm-hmm. Don't spend a dime in it. That's my opinion. Not one dime. I appreciate you putting that on the table because you and I both know if we want this country to change, it changes with the dollar. You can't speak to the heart and mind. You got to speak to the dollar in this country. We have Rita on the phone, then Raquel. Rita, how are you? How are you, Dr. Cairns? Thank you for taking my call. I just tuned you in, but there was one day that you were talking about black women in poverty. And I'll just say this because I got some young ladies in my family a sure way for a black woman to be in poverty is to have an out-of-wedlock child and don't finish high school and try to get your education. That's one ticket to poverty, and I've seen it so many times in my family and in other instances where these young girls have these out-children uh, by different men, uh, don't finish school, and that's a ticket to poverty. They wind up taking care of three or four children with different names and working two jobs from McDonald's to Burger King. So that I think that that should be stressed for these young girls to try not to have these children, get an education, and stop these out-of-wedlock babies. Now, I, I don't think I'm being mean. Do you think so? No, but I, I I don't think you're being mean, but I do want to kind of parse out what you're saying, Rita, because when you began, you were saying, oh, have an out-of-wedlock child. I know a lot of professional black women who make a decision to have a child, and they're doing fine. What you're really zeroing in, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you're, you're talking about teenage mothers. That's what you're talking yes. about. Yeah, okay, so then in that case, the research actually backs up what you're saying, that a sure road to living an impoverished life, if you are a teenage girl and you have a child before the age of 18 and then you drop out of high school, well, the, the chances for advancement are very low. Yes. yes. That's what I'm talking I mean, if you're a college-educated yeah, woman you and you think? want to have a child, you can take care yeah. of it. And, and... Out of wedlock or in wedlock. But when, you, when you're these young girls and you have these babies and you haven't finished high school, you're in deep trouble. And, let's add the and, though, and you don't have the protection of your family's money as a net because you can be yes. in high school and your parents are able to support you. I know people I went to an HBCU with who had children at home and they were off at college. Your parents leaned in. So that, that family support is also important. But that's not the usual case in no. Baltimore City. No, that's not the that's usual not, case. You know, and when the child is born, you know, it's like they disperse the child, oh, another one, and start the baby off not being wanted. You know, into a lifetime of, so of poverty, it just goes generation and generation, and it starts with these, I hate to call them out of wedlock, but young ladies who are having babies before they're ready to take care of them. I, would, that, I think that's better terminology, and we know it goes back farther than that. We're talking about generational poverty coupled with urban poverty coupled with situational poverty, which we talked about yesterday. You have all those And I just can't blame and, the women. Yes. It's the young guys who... You know, it's, it's, it takes two to tango. It does. But um, the does. burden of taking care of children falls on the woman because the man will go on yeah. and make some more babies, but you're stuck with that. Yeah. I hate to use the word stuck. But I know what but, you mean. Um, the burden take. It yeah. is what it is. And I know there are a few instances, of course, where men are stepping in. But we know across the board, we talked about this yesterday when we talked about time poverty with black women because you do this other extra job that there is no compensation for. Thank you so much, Rita. I will Thank add, you. Yeah, I will add, folks, that one of my greatest joys is being a mother. But let's be clear. If I got paid to be a mother, I'd probably make a lot more money than both my jobs right now, right? Because the extra stuff you don't count, but there's also that net support. We have Raquel on the line from Owens Mills. Raquel, how are you? How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. Oh, that's good. I'm on Facebook now just looking at some of the comments. Um, I would like to 
tell Mr. Fume happy birthday. I see they said that his birthday is this weekend, so happy birthday to Mr. Fume. And, Dr. K., what keeps me up at nighttime is how many black men has been shot in Baltimore City in the last past couple of years. This is really sad. We've got to get our hands dirty, do something. We've got to help out. This younger generation that's coming up, they're all about shooting each other. Nobody talks about anything. You see 22-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 31-year-olds, 46-year-olds. Everybody is just shooting each other. I know what you mean. That, that's actually, thank you for putting that on the table. Because the level of violence that we're dealing with in this city with over 300-plus murders on a regular basis, I know that Mayor Scott has talked about how that's something that keeps him up at night. Black folks across the board um, that were part of this study for the black mandate slash the black agenda laid out three principles that are designed to address racism in our society, racism in our democracy, racism in our economy, because racism is a part of every aspect of our lives in this country. It's not just divorced from one issue to the next. Racism in our economy is part of racism in our democracy, is part of racism in our society. But one is the acknowledgement that race matters, that the only way we can disrupt the cycle of racism and to disrupt the causes of inequality is to be clear that race matters and looking to have policies that are not necessarily race neutral, but what they call race forward, which means we take a look at the current state of what's happening in this country and then we build from there. 410-319-8888. Dwayne's on the phone from Baltimore City. Dwayne, how are you? I'm just happy to be here, Dr. K. Just happy to be here. So is the topic today, uh, is is this a table talk discussion? Yes, it is. Ah, okay, okay. uh, And uh, what is the primer, what keeps you up at night? Yes, because we started with talking about President Joe Biden's, um, he did a press conference, of course, last night in Baltimore City, and they asked him what was his greatest regret around the black agenda. And so we're now taking a look at all of the research around the black agenda slash mandate that showed that black people across the board, at least in this study, said there were three things that kept them up at night. Lack of money, uh, lack of money to get food, lack of money to get health care, lack of money to get good housing. Mm. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Well, uh, well, in light of that, um, what keeps me up at night is would be the the constant challenge of of, uh, of us relying on uh, you know the other communities to give us the things that we could probably get for ourselves if we if we lifted our our our, our minds to something higher to a higher standard of of, of of, of of existing and being and, and and as I and as the young lady said before about the shame of all the violence and as we talk about quite frequently on your show and previous shows with the violence I mean you know this is just a re, this is some kind of reflection of the job that we're doing as the the elders of these young people and you know if they're gonna they're not gonna do better unless we do better so we gotta lift our we gotta raise our standards and, and get ourselves together as well otherwise it's just gonna stay the same. Dwayne, you said something on my show, and you probably said it maybe two years ago, but I will never forget when you talked about how this is not Wakanda. Like We don't live in Wakanda. But I, I often think about that because I'm saying, are there principles from that we can take into our community? Because it seemed like, at least in this fictional story, there was a lot of focus on building up the next generation, on recognizing the genius in children giving them spaces to grow, to be creative, to fail and get back up, to take care of each other as a matter of responsibility and duty and obligation. There are some aspects of Wakanda that we can take and actually apply them in the real world, Dwayne. That is absolutely true. You know, look, the magic of Wakanda is it's not magic at all. It's called, it's called high-level high character, high-level responsibility for your brother, for your next door neighbor, for your community, these aren't. This isn't magic. This isn't special effects. This is everyday, regular stuff. But if it doesn't get applied, what doesn't get applied doesn't get used. We can't. We can't tap the riches of those very principles that are in every holy book known to man if we don't use them. 
I like that. I mean, because maybe, like you said, it's not it's not magic. It's not special effects. It's just good character, good moral character. Because maybe some of the black agenda could be inward facing as well. Big time. Yeah, Big time. We need that more than us. we need anything else. I mean, what can we do for ourselves? What can we do to help our children so that the answer is not them grabbing a gun? We know they didn't manufacture the gun themselves. They got the gun from somewhere that a 16-year-old used to shoot and kill a 15-year-old. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Dwayne. Let's go to Calvin, a new caller from Baltimore. Calvin, how are you? Wonderful. How are you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. I had, a, I had an observation that I made, and... Uh, I don't know what you're a doctor of. I think you're very intelligent. I've heard the show before. Um, I think a lot, and, and DMX made it really plain. A lot of what our rappers do, and I'm not blaming no one. I'm just bringing, making a point about you know, what keeps us up. Oftentimes, um, I'm more concerned about my children running into someone who looks like them than I am about the police, and I'm worried about the police. Worried about both, but just thinking more about someone who looks like them. I think uh, I hear about how What's the guy's name? DMX and other rappers, they go through issues in the street in their life. And a lot of times they need mental health counseling, but they take their mental health issues or they take their issues and then put it into a song. That song goes out expressing their desire, you know, their, 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 their issues they have in their life. I think our children hear that, internalize it, and they aren't trained to understand that this person is living out their mental health issues through music. So our children internalize that, and then they become life-imitating art. And so often, our children don't know how to how to differentiate between it being art and it being real life and something that some behaviors that they should pick up and follow. Let me ask you this, Calvin, just to build on that just a bit here. Do you think that COVID amplified that as an issue? Because what do we have our children doing all day, every day? Everything Absolutely. is online. Everything. They, they became more tied to technology during the, quote, shut-in than any yeah. other time. And as a professional, I'm sure you've heard, whether it's a sales coach, business coach, they tell you so often you become what you think about. Yes, you so do. They tell you, you know, if you, know, you become, you know, if you listen to uh, positive, you know, listen to, I, I, I love classical music. Classical music is so relaxing to me. There's no beat to dance to, no words to take in. You just enjoy the music. But if I put on some particular artist, and they talk about, I'm going to do this and do that, and all of, you know, the violent lifestyles that they live as artists, I internalize that. I become what I listen to. And I think a lot of that, I don't want to say necessarily become the lot from into oh, they only get it from the music, because our children have issues they live through also. But I think it's important that we understand that, yes, it's art, but we shouldn't be so open to accepting it right. strictly as an art form when it has such an influence over our children, because in the pandemic, outside of the pandemic, you see kids, you see men, women, you see people walking down the street, fingers in the air, making guns, pointing, they're going to hurt, and just everything about it has been become what they hear all the time, so they do those things. I don't know how to make that curve or make that switch or just to lighten that. We should not be so acceptable mm. of, of what we listen to all the time and put it off, oh, oh they're artists expressing themselves. Right. It has been detrimental to our people. And I think that crosses every board. I used to believe, Calvin, I know I have to let you go, but I used to believe that we could maybe turn the tide. I mean, my work is in language, literacy, yes. and culture, a specialization looking at African-American history and the roots that are happening within our own environment, in our homes, in our society, within our political situation. I used to believe that we could turn the tide, that we were strong enough as black folks that we could get there, we could be the catchers in the rye, and we can yes. turn the tide. I think COVID broke down our ability to do that because in order okay. to stay connected we had to in a sense give our children to technology we had to I trust agree. that for okay. hours at a time when they were online that they were actually quote in school we couldn't right. turn technology off because it was the way to do everything it wasn't just about watching netflix it's the way we connected with grandma on zoom there were zoom yes. funerals and zoom weddings and zoom baby showers that all of a sudden zoom became so much a part of our lives that we gave children in the most vulnerable state who are heavy on I being agree. addicted to things we gave them an addiction like drugs and now it's going to be hard to take it away from them well, the challenge, Dr. K, is that a lot of our issues happened before but before uh, COVID. We had killings in our communities and violence in our culture. 
before Donald Trump became, you know, came into office. We had so many issues that have been going on for so long. Our usual uh, rebuttal is uh, we call it discrimination, we call it racism, and we call it, uh, uh, what's the other word? We blame it on slavery. We were oh, yeah, slavery we're about slavery, years. white supremacy, white. But maybe some of this All is us, things. too. Maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it is. And everything, they play a role. But at what point do we say, okay, this is where we are with everything. How do we move forward? Not to forget the past. I, I have friends who are Jewish, and they say, okay, they, 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 you know, they look at their piece. It's a different, they had a different experience. I'm not comparing it to but I like to look at what we could take from other cultures yeah. as a as a as a as a as a practice to say, okay, what can we learn from them to do better for ourselves? Because we are so broken as a culture, we have to fix it. I'm not. We can't keep praying away our problems. We can't keep trusting Jesus to come and rescue us. We have to do something. And, if, and, and the lady said it earlier. You know, we got to get our hands dirty. And mm-hmm. some people, you know, all. Skin folk and kin folk. We got to put some people Zora in place. Zora comment, right? <laughs> okay, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate thank, it. Thank you so much, Calvin. I appreciate you. You know, folks, I just want to just add to what Calvin said. Uh, one of the good friends of, of the show, one of our really good friends, is Judge Billy Murphy, one of the greatest defense attorneys right now in the state of Maryland. Amazing. But Billy Murphy said that the black community needs to look to the Jewish community for some ideas, for, for some, some inspiration for how we should do things. Let me tell you what he talked about, which I think is fascinating. He said that within the Jewish community, they don't trust the teaching of Jewish history to the school system. Instead, they do it when they take them to sat on Saturdays, going to school. They have a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. Well, you have to learn about the Jewish culture, your history, so you can stand on your history. We, in contrast, trust the teaching of our history to a country that's already banning critical race theory. You can't talk about King. You can't talk about the Civil Rights Movement. You can't talk about slavery. How are we trusting them? to teach our children the richness of our culture. That should be on us. Zora Simone said, look, Amos Wilson, Amos Wilson said you had to take the resources and the economic base out of the black community or you breed criminality. I don't know about that, folks. We need to talk about how we can turn the resources and the economic base back on because we do have more black folks, according to Dr. Julianne Malbo. We actually have more black folks that are middle class now. Or right now, middle-class black folks. Mark's on the phone from Baltimore. Mark, how are you? I'm good, Dr. K. How are yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for calling. Oh, yes, ma'am. I, I was thinking about um, what you shared earlier in reference to the um, the football game or baseball games and how the crowd got involved in it. Yes. And it, it, it made me think about uh, uh, situations. Uh, you ever seen a movie called Needful Things? Yes, I have. And and uh, and it, it, it um, the the idea is that we all have uh, positive and negative within us. Everything has positive and negative. Now, the negative is in one person, and you it takes two to tangle, so to say. So when when a person brings that negative to you, you let that other negative come out of you to them. So they automatically uh, brings up the, a fight. Right. So the enemy, the word enemy means in me. So we are fighting each other over something stupid, but it's, it's inherently in us, and it's in everything, and there's no way you can get around it. We just have to use, accentuate the positive situations, and that's what we have not been doing. And um, as far as sleeping at night. I sleep good at night. I I don't worry about it because I know that all this is part of a plan. And when people get tired of catching hell, they'll submit to the fact that Elijah brought the truth. And the truth is what we got to go with because the only thing we owe each other is truth. Everything else is a burden. All and right, that's what thank I you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for calling the show. The only thing we owe each other is the truth. I'm going to push back a bit on that. I think as black folks, we owe each other a lot more than just the truth. Like We owe each other love, support. Uh, we have a level of responsibility and obligation. We owe each other a lot more than just the truth. 
folks, nobody's going to save us. Look, we are going to have to save ourselves. We're going to have to. And how we start with that is we start by saving our children. 410-319-8888. Joe's on the phone, then Ted, then Burns. Joe, how are you? Hello, Dr. K. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, make a comment and, and and just to point out about how situation is, is moving, and I just want to get a focus on it. I'm looking at Texas, and Texas is a state where they are changing the abortion law. Yeah, they already have with Senate Bill 8. Yes. Yeah, and th- that's the same state who's trying to change the uh, voters' right for blacks and Hispanics yep. and, and districts and all these things like that. They also are saying that they want to pick who wins the election. Yes. And then they also at the state where the uh, critical race theory uh, 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 sprung out the, the issue. Well, it's already I mean, been banned there, but yes. Excuse me? It's been banned in Texas along with 15 yeah, other states. Yes, I'm saying that's where the the, uh, the ban came from. And I'm just saying that they are saying that we don't care what you think. Yeah. We're going to do it in your, in your face. Yes, we, we, we're going to show you how much, if you think that that's a big issue, we're going to give you something to talk about. What I'm, my, my point is that, the the critical race theory is something that we already know. I'm saying that we have television, we have news, we've got all kinds of ways we can get it. That is not the issue. we got other things to fight on because they're showing you that regardless of how we feel about it, they don't care. They don't care. I agree. That group, I that agree. type of group. That I'll stop you there, Joe. Thank you so much. I know yeah. we're waiting. At some point, we're gonna, we may be able to speak to our uh, itty-bitty reporter. If not today, we'll speak to him on Monday, James Cook, which I hope uh, we can get in touch with him. We have Ted on the phone. Ted, how are you? Doing well. Hello again. Hello again. Thanks for calling. I um, just want to talk again with regards to you said this conversation about um, us learning from the Jewish culture, and you had mentioned um, them teaching um, their kids their history. Yes. I never thought from that standpoint. A lot of what I thought more so was just the value of education mm-hmm. and us. You know, there's so many things that I feel happen um, because of a lack of opportunity, and I feel education were stressed more and were pushed um, on us that then can't save everybody, but you get more people out of the situation and feeling they don't have a future if they could just get the education, have opportunities. And I just feel there's a lot of things that are going on um, to, to a certain extent, dumb it down. You know, we're, we're saying in certain places that we can't have gifted and talented class because black kids um, aren't in those classes anymore, instead of finding ways to make sure that we're able to take those classes. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Ted. I, I got to stop you there because we do have um, our itty bitty reporter, James Cook, on the phone. I want to get to him uh, because he's just going to give us an update from his perspective about sports. James, how are you? Good. Good. Thank you for just chiming in. So I just have a few questions for you in the last little bit of time we have left. James Cook was our itty-bitty reporter all the way through COVID, and he stays with us. You're in middle school now, James? Yes, I am. And so I just heard that you made your middle school basketball team. So i got to start with that and congratulate you. What position do you play? I think I'm going to be playing small forward, and I think I might be in the starting lineup. Nice, which makes me think, of course, about you and the fact that the NBA season is back. Do you have any predictions for the season? Uh, I think the Lakers are going to win because over the the off season they got they they had a lot of trades. They have so they they had they got so many players like Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard, Ron Ron Ray John Rondo back. Everybody, Carmelo Anthony. So I think they might win. So do you think so? So you're betting on the no, not betting in the bats. I'm just saying you're just banking on the Lakers and not the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm, no, I don't think so. Oh wow! And maybe okay. not. The, I don't think, and I don't think the Phoenix Suns because what they did last year. I don't know. Uh, you I don't, don't think know about so. That. Yes. Now the NBA, they're doing this whole thing about 75 years, a big anniversary, and yes. so they announced the 75th anniversary team. Can you yes. name some of the players that made the team? Um, LeBron James, of Stephen course. Curry, Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard. Um, and that's pretty much, that's 
all I can think of. That's all you can think of? Like, well, then, yeah. I do want to ask you this. I know we don't have a lot of time, but we always talk about the NBA. We got to talk about the WNBA because yes. Coach Dan Staley, I think her last name is pronounced Staley, uh, from South Carolina, just made history becoming the highest paid black head coach in NCAA women's basketball history with a $22.4 million contract extension. Can wow. you just talk about some of the improvements in women's basketball? This is huge. I think, like, over the time, they they, they were able to get, like, good players. and They were, like, able to, like, win more games. And, like, one thing I think they should do, like, they should start getting paid, like, the same amount of money as yes. the NBA does. Speak it, brother. <laughs> I'm going to say I enjoyed it. James, I know we're going to be talking to you this year. We look forward to having you on the air with us and following your basketball career as well. Congratulations again, James. Thank you. Bye. Do we have a moment to talk to um, my man, Anthony McCarthy from Two Way Talk? Anthony, how are you, sir? I'm sorry, I was at the wrong microphone, Dr. Hey, K. Anthony. How so, are you? Apparently, you have a show that comes on after me. What's, yeah. what's happening? Evidently, on your show? I follow the great Dr. <laughs> K. Please, I, I precede the great <laughs> Anthony McCarthy. We have our Friday roundtable. Yes. We're talking about the headlines of the day, including Biden's visit to Baltimore. Yes. And then in the second hour, we're going to ask the question can a man wear a dress and Uh-oh. still be masculine? Ooh. And boy, I posted the question on Facebook, and the people lost their minds. So I'm hoping that the crazy people will be calling the show as well. I hope they will. I'll be listening. (laughs) All right. I will be listening, and I hope you can get our friend Kevin Brown. That's right. I would love to hear his opinion on this, because I love his clothes. That's right. That's right. All right. Thanks, Dr. K. We're done for the week. Um, We'll meet back here on Monday at 2 p.m. We're going to have another show that matters and i got something exciting to announce to you on money so you got to tune in for my big announcement it's been an honor and a privilege to serve you in this way the show is produced by my emmy award-winning producer justina pollard along with my award-winning board operator andre melton have a safe weekend we look forward to monday monday